Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today.
Today is Friday, August 16, 2019. This is Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live for the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where Ford Cares is holding their Men of Courage, Men of Change initiative. Of course, we'll tell you more about that a little bit later. But coming up on today's show, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib of Detroit says no to Israel, who granted her a humanitarian visit to go see her 90-year-old grandmother. She says, I will not be shackled, so therefore I'm not going. Also, why is Donald Trump trying to put on a man on the federal bench for life who believes in white supremacy? We'll explain to you this problematic federal judge appointee of Donald Trump. Also, folks, uh, on uh, today's show, uh, the wealth gap is a huge issue. How do we close the wealth gap uh, in this country? If black folks had the same amount of money as white folks, nearly $2 trillion could be added to the United States economy. Also, uh, what is happening with PTSD in the black community? That is a huge issue. The mental health of African Americans, we'll talk about that. And two black women in Oregon win a suit against Airbnb. Folks, we got all that and more right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered. It's time to bring the funk. Let's go. Hey, folks, welcome to Roland Martin Unfiltered Broadcasting Live for the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center here in Cincinnati, Ohio, where Ford Cares, they're holding their Men of Courage and Men of Change initiative. I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, but, uh, of course, this is an, uh, an unbelievable museum that if you have a chance to come visit, you really need to because it is a powerful, powerful place. We broadcast here before, so always glad to be back here. Folks, let's talk politics. Uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, uh, she was denied entry into Israel along with Congresswoman Ilhan Omar by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu after Donald Trump said they should not be allowed to come into the country. Well, she then requested a humanitarian uh, uh, bid that was granted for her to visit her 90-year-old grandmother, but then she said absolutely not. She did not want to go under the oppressive conditions imposed by uh, the state of Israel. Uh, this has been a contentious issue. Democrats have been highly critical of Donald Trump and Israel for denying them entry. In fact, APAC, the largest is a Jewish lobbying organization in America. They also criticize of the move as well. Now, this is a huge uh, issue here. She was going to go see her grandmother on the West Bank during a four-day trip next week. But then she then she said, absolutely not. She would not go there because of what Israel is doing, the conditions they're placing on her and so many others. That is a huge problem that we're seeing all across, uh, again, in the political world. And the Democrats continue to say that Donald Trump is wrong for inserting himself into Israeli politics and Benjamin Netanyahu is also wrong 
for listening to Donald Trump on this. We'll talk to Kelly Bethea. She's one of our communications uh, specialists. She joins us on our panel. Uh, and Kelly, I got I to ask you, from a political standpoint, this standout that we're seeing here, you have Donald Trump who desperately wants to attack the squad. He wants to keep going after them uh, and make them a flashpoint. But here you have, but when you have APAC who says that he was wrong and Netanyahu was wrong, this looks like it's backfiring on Donald Trump. I'm surprised that at this point something is actually backfiring on Donald Trump, it, especially when it comes to something like this. This is supposed to be a personal issue regarding Congressman Tlaib, and now it's a situation where it's an international conflict almost with an ally. It's absolutely ridiculous, and it's gotten to the point where, you know, she can't just see her grandmother because of somebody being petty, quite frankly. It's, it's just absurd. Uh, and, and, and not only that, I mean, what, what you're dealing with here is, first and foremost, this is Israel refusing entry to members of Congress. But this is not the first time. Uh, they also previously uh, refused entry uh, to Congressman Diggs. In fact, he represented portions of the district that Congresswoman Tlaib currently represents. That was during, that was in South Africa, actually, uh, not Israel, I'm sorry, South Africa uh, denied him entry. And so we have seen this from other countries. And, uh, and so what is Israel saying? Do they want to compare themselves to the racist apartheid regime, regime of South Africa? Well, it looks that way, but not necessarily regarding South Africa, but they're trying to align themselves with Trump because Trump is the president of the United States. We are an ally of Israel. That's what it's looking like so far, especially with uh, President, uh, N I can't pronounce his name correctly, Netanyahu, correct. Netanyahu. So he, yeah, so he's uh, the white the white ring equivalent in uh, Israel, and this move by him was actually praised with his base, just like uh, Trump going after Tlaib here uh, is get, getting praised uh, from his base. So they're just pretty much in line with each other. They're just kind of acting buddy-buddy, but it's still, again, just absurd because this is supposed to be a personal issue regarding Tlaib and her seeing her family, but now it's become an international political conflict because of xenophobia, frankly. Uh, Avis Jones, DeWeaver, uh, again, what you're seeing here, you're seeing Netanyahu closely aligned with Donald Trump uh, doing this at his behest, and what it is showing it is it's showing the pettiness of Donald Trump. It is showing how ridiculous he is. Uh, and I guess he thought he was currying favor uh, with folks like APAC. Well, they've even criticized the, the denial of entry of Omar as well as Tlaib, but allowing other members of Congress to actually visit. Absolutely. I mean, the reality is he's a very small man. He's small. Uh, he, he's small. He really has no adult um, characteristics about him whatsoever. And what's also interesting is that Netanyahu seems to be his lapdog. Uh, it's interesting. I, I don't understand. I see why they get along so well, because both of them are criminal. I, I really don't understand why Netanyahu isn't in jail yet. I mean, wasn't he recently um, convicted of something? I, I don't understand what's going no, on actually, in Israel. Actually, no, actually, actually, he was, I mean, he's first of all, he, uh, him and his wife were facing uh, charges there. He was not convicted.
Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's it's very interesting though that both of them seem to have, as was mentioned before, this right wing, I would argue, very racist tilt. Uh, and so uh, Netanyahu is also in the, at the point where he's about to go up for re-election. It's a very controversial election. Well, let's also say that uh, there is a very strong right wing um, faction within Israel that is uh, very oppressive, very racist, and I think they resonate very well with both Netanyahu and Donald Trump. In fact, I've read that Donald Trump is more popular in, in Israel than he is here in the United States. And so it is really interesting here uh, that you have a country that claims to be this beacon of democracy in the quote unquote Middle East. Um, uh, but instead, they are showing very repressive uh, behavior. And unfortunately, it's not unlike the repressive behavior and a much more heightened level that they show against Palestinians each and every day. Here was a tweet that uh, Rashida Tlaib sent out four hours ago, quoting uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of South Africa, quote, I am not interested in picking up crumbs of compassion thrown from the table of someone who considers himself my master. I want the full menu of rights. Mm -hmm. Yep, and she's exactly right. I mean, to sit here and say one day, no, you're not even allowed to come into this country, even though we're, we claim to be a democratic country, and then to only backtrack, let's just be very real, the only reason why they backtracked at all was because of the international condemnation they were receiving in every direction that you can imagine, including, for example, as was mentioned, APAC here in the United States, which is no bastion of liberal beliefs, let me tell you. And so it was very interesting to see that they were embarrassed into halfway doing the right thing. Uh, but she was exactly right to say, you know, this is an example, basically, of the dehumanizing ways in which Palestinians are forced to contort to the whims of the Israeli government, and she refused to bend to that. And I, I think one thing that they did not anticipate that we're now seeing is quite to the contrary of what they probably wanted. Her cause is getting even more attention than it ever would have otherwise in terms of coverage via the mainstream media. All right, folks, let's talk about something that's happening here in the United States. And, of course, I have been, been talking about this over and over and over again, trying to get our people to understand that, the, that the, this election is really about the federal bench in terms of what Donald Trump is trying to do. Uh, now we see that he is literally pushing a white supremacist to the federal bench. Uh, and this, this particular nominee, folks, is, which is really understanding, is, is crazy. It's called... This guy wrote this piece, his law review piece, in 2010 called Ethno-Nationalism and Liberal Democracy. His name is Stephen Manashi. Okay, he argues that ethno-nationalism remains a common and accepted feature of liberal democracy that is consistent with current state practice and international law. Hmm. Now, Avis, this is a guy who Donald Trump is pushing for the federal bench. And this is the thing that I keep trying to explain to people what is going on here. What Donald Trump has done, he doesn't care about the federal bench. No. He basically has said to white evangelicals, white conservative evangelicals and the Federalist Society, whoever y'all want, go ahead. So the reason they support Donald Trump so much is he is giving them complete control of the federal bench. Absolutely. Complete control. Absolutely. And so the fact that, and this is not the first guy who they've been pushing. 
Okay, so I've been saying the question, is Senator Tim Scott going to stand up and say, hell no to this guy? Lindsey Graham is chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the committee that's actually going to be uh, uh, doing the hearings. Is Senator Mike Lee of Utah? Is Ben Sass of Nebraska? Is Senator Kennedy of Louisiana? All of these people, the ones who are voting for these federal judges, this is a guy who simply believes that, that, it's about, that America should be a white country. The, this is why people can have to stop saying, oh, hey, Trump is no big deal. No, he put, if he keeps putting folks like this on the federal bench, they'll be ruling on cases for the next 30, 40, 50 years. Absolutely. I mean, clearly Trump is a white nationalist and he's looking to pack the court apparently also with white nationalists. It's why, for example, he has gone out of his way to talk about everything else from video games to mental illness when it was a white nationalist who shot up El Paso, okay? Uh, he will never uh, say anything against them. He will never say anything to in any way insult them or call them out because he is them. And he is looking to advance their agenda and to the best that he can, he is looking to codify their specific goals. Uh, and so so I'm not surprised that this is the type of person that he puts up for the federal bench. And I'm not going to be sort of waiting for uh, people like Lindsey Graham to speak up because he lost his backbone long ago when it comes to anything that this president does. Kelly, again, I, I cannot underscore how vital this is. We just talked yesterday, yesterday about a federal judge, uh, a, a Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruling in the case of Dray McKesson uh, saying that he didn't have a First Amendment right when it came, when it came to this protest uh, because a cop is suing him. You put these type of judges on the federal bench, they are going to be making rulings that are simply against the interests of black people. And if Donald Trump gets another four years, we can expect another two, three hundred of these type of federal judges. And that's what is really scary about this situation. Again, um, and I said this a couple weeks ago, but not to say that what we see on mainstream media as news isn't real news, but it is gossip compared to what's happening right now on the, on the federal circuit and the like. Like you said, these are lifetime appointments. Federal judges on uh, federal circuits get the same kind of treatment as Supreme Court justices, meaning that once they're appointed, they could, the only way they can get off the bench is if they die or if they retire. So a lot of them, frankly, a lot of them do retire, but it's, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the line. And you can just imagine just how many cases come up in which they, you know, preside over over that amount of time. That's decades worth of case law, decades worth of people, people's lives who are jeopardized and infringed upon because somebody considers themselves an ethno-nationalist, which is just code for racist. Because when I first saw the uh, Rachel Maddow piece regarding uh, this man, I just wanted to know, well, how did ethno-nationalism uh, work with Germany? How did that work out? Where would white people be if it weren't for other people of color and other races in this country alone? They wouldn't have left the boat in 1619. If it weren't for Native Americans, they would have died. So for you to say that, you know, we need to be a white nation in order to progress, it appears that if you were if we were a white nation like fully we wouldn't have lasted at one i wouldn't be here but two this would not be a united states of america if his vision were fulfilled 
again, I want everybody who was listening to the sound of my voice, you had better understand that when you go to the voting polls, if you choose not to register or to vote, we're talking about the control of the federal bench. Supreme Court is the last line of defense. And you talk about a court of appeals, federal district judges, what these folks are going to do, they are trying to, again, stack, pack the federal bench. Many of you, many people have told me to watch uh, this uh, documentary on Netflix called The Family, which is a group of largely white conservatives who want to control politics. If you want to understand what is happening in America today, understand this is what they want. They want control of the federal bench because they know when the federal judges rule, that's it. They can overrule Congress. They can overrule laws. So we better pay attention. Going to a break right now. When we come back, we're going to talk about the mental health of African Americans right here on Roland Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live for the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You want to check out Roland Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roland Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roland Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, welcome back to Roller Martin Unfiltered, broadcasting live from the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, uh, where uh, Ford Care is presenting their program, Men of Courage, Men of Change. Uh, folks, let's talk about uh, a huge issue, and that is the mental health of African Americans. When we see a lot of these p police brutality cases happening all across the country, when we see stories like the one in Arkansas where this white woman uh, pulls a gun on four young African Americans who are simply trying to raise money uh, for their athletic team, this causes traumatic issues for uh, people of color. Uh, and so we can't act as if these things do not matter, don't exist. And in fact, remember, we had uh, the sister uh, who was on the subway train uh, there in D.C. who saw the cops uh, take down this brother who was trying to help in the case of uh, them when they stopped a couple of African-Americans. Well, she talked about uh, her mental health and what she was dealing with and what she was going through. And so we're seeing this uh, all the time. In fact, in fact, Avis, we even have some folks uh, who, again, are triggered when they see videos. Some people simply can't even watch these videos when they're posted on social media because of the impact uh, they have. Uh, there's the targeting of African-Americans. In a moment, we're going to talk with a mental health expert. Uh, but we have to understand that this is a significant issue, that black people are under a level of assault in this country, Avis, unlike other people. People couldn't even watch when they see us, a, a fictional, well, not fictional, but a representation of a true story, right? Uh, just because of the trauma that that would induce by watching what those young men went through as young boys. And so, uh, you know, this is a real issue. In fact, I've read that uh, trauma itself can be passed down through the DNA. And so it's not just a one generational uh, impact of trauma. It can be carried on from one generation to the next generation. So for many of us, given our history in this nation in terms of the traumatic experience of the slave experience, we were born already exposed to trauma. And what happens after we're here just exacerbates the situation. Kelly? No, I agree with Dr. Avis, um, but also people don't understand that trauma 
all affects your entire being. It's not just a mental health issue, especially with black people, because we don't have the outlet to actually express why we're traumatized or what's going on with us mentally. It affects our physical bodies. That's why we have hypertension. That's why we have, you know, an increased uh, rate of stroke and heart attacks and the like. It's not just, you know, thinking and uh, depression isn't just in your mind. Depression is a physical thing. An anxiety is a physical thing. I've dealt with depression and anxiety. I especially dealt with it when I lived in Baltimore during the Baltimore uprising because I could see the smoke from my apartment when things were, you know, being set aflame. Um, and it it's interesting because I was fortunate enough to actually have a therapist at that time, but so many people aren't. So many people, especially in these inner cities like Baltimore, Chicago, D.C. and the like, they don't have the means, they don't have the resources, and their local governments don't have the means and resources or even think about having the means and resources to actually help this group of people. Right. Um, and just because we're people of color doesn't mean that we don't have, you know, we're, we're not a monolith. And we're, you know, we need those resources as well. So, let's go to Attorney Enola Ayer. She's the founder and president of Community Healing Network. Uh, and Enola, this is obviously uh, an issue that that does not get the level of attention that it needs. We talk about the level of trauma, the impact on Black folks that they are un, un, under when you talk about uh, not just with the police, but also you got white folks who are calling the cops left and right over any one little thing, pulling guns on black people. I mean, that stuff, you, you don't simply get over that so easily. You know, we, you know, James Baldwin said that to be black in America is to live in a state of constant rage. That is not healthy. We are in a situation where we're constantly under attack, we're constantly under a microscope, doing anything while black can be dangerous and, and is often can often be deadly. Uh, we're in a situation where we have to stop and realize that as a group, as a community, we need to take time to heal. This uh, current manifestation of the problem is rooted in uh, uh, something that took place 600 years ago in the world and 400 years ago in the United States. And we're in the 400th anniversary of the uh, first recorded forced arrival of Africans in the United States. And it is an important and propitious moment for us to say, look, we've made an incredible amount of progress against so many, so many trials and tribulations. But the one thing that has stayed with us from the very, very beginning, 600 years ago, is this notion that black people are less than. And that is what we are pointing to a community healing network as the root cause of the devaluing of black lives, the root cause of our mistreatment, of oppression, of depression, of blood pressure, high blood pressure, all of the the, the problems that we point to and worry about and all of these symptoms are rooted in this notion that we are less than that there's a hierarchy of humanity mm -hmm. and that white people are at the top and black people are at the bottom and sometimes black people aren't even in the circle of humanity at all and we believe that unless we deal with that issue no constitutional amendment no legislation no uh whatever we may do is not going to address the problem so we have to go to the root cause and that is what community healing is about uh that is what we are about uh, this coming week in the state of Virginia, as we go to the capital of the Confederacy in Richmond, we go with the intent 
to honor our ancestors and to uh, honor our children by breaking with the most powerful weapon formed against us as people of African ancestry, that lie. We want to declare our freedom from that lie and we want to develop uh, strategies, we want to share strategies with people so that they can go back to their communities and begin what we call an emotional emancipation circle, a uh, global movement. Uh, this movement has been in, in, in force since uh, 2006. Uh, 2019 is a very, very important year for us. We've been working toward this year since 2006 on the theory that we wanted to engage a critical mass of black people in this movement for emotional emancipation, healing, wellness, and empowerment by 2019 so that we would be able to see ourselves in a, in a whole new light, to see ourselves in a more healthier uh, view uh, by the year 2020. And that is what we intend to do. Our emotional emancipation circles are self-help support groups. I heard uh, the ladies talking earlier about uh, the need for, for mental health support. We think that this needs to be a, a comprehensive, uh, community-wide, uh, global movement, in fact, and for the last uh, five, 10 years, we have been, along with the Association of Black Psychologists, sharing this strategy with people across the diaspora. And it has been resonating. People are realizing that we do need spaces where we can, can breathe, spaces where we can take the time to heal, understand the impact of historical forces on our emotional lives. What has it done to how we view ourselves? What has it done to how our children see themselves? And what has it done to our relationships and the well-being of our community? Uh, it is time for us, as Dr. Dr. Maya Angelou said, that it's time to take a day to heal from the lies we've been told and the ones that we've told ourselves. We will not be able to move forward, we believe, as a people until we deal with this issue. And we believe that since we have done such amazing things, even while carrying the weight of this lie on our shoulders, we will be able to do even more amazing things once we have taken the time to heal and free ourselves and more importantly, our children from this heavy burden. So how can folks reach your organization? Communityhealingnet.org, communityhealingnet.org. Okay, well, surely appreciate it. Uh, thank you so very much. Thank you for giving us a chance to talk with you. Bye-bye. All right, folks, going to go to a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of sisters who have successfully sued Airbnb for discrimination. That's next, Roller Martin Unfiltered. All right, folks, you've heard me talk a lot about marijuanastock.org. Why? Because I want to keep you informed of investment opportunities that make sense. We've all watched the growth of the cannabis industry. A recent report by New Frontier Data estimates the global cannabis market at over $340 billion. Now, we know that marijuana legalization is sweeping the country state by state. We also know that marijuana has a good cousin, the hemp plant, which with a much higher concentration of CBD. That means hemp gives you all the medical benefits of marijuana without getting you high. Now, until recently, hemp farming was practically illegal in the U.S. and heavily regulated by the DEA. However, the 2018 Farm Bill changed all of that, making it legal to grow hemp CBD in the U.S. and creating one of the largest commodities worldwide. They need land to grow all of the plants. And folks, is it rocket science? It's an incredible investment opportunity. And that's where our good friends at 420 Real Estate come in. Their business model is simple. They buy land that supports hemp CBD grow operations and lease it to licensed high-paying tenants. That's right. They are hemp CBD landlords. And you can get in on the action. 
Folks at 420 Real Estate decided to do something special for Roland Martin Unfiltered Family. Originally, the minimum investment level was 500 bucks. Right now, you can invest in this crowdfunding campaign for as little as $200. That's right, 200 bucks up to 10,000. And let me recap, this is a $340 billion worldwide industry and it's growing. You can participate with as little as 200 bucks. To invest, go to marijuanastock.org. That's marijuanastock.org. Get in the game and get in the game now. Airbnb has settled a lawsuit brought by several Oregon women who said the site allowed vacation rental owners to discriminate against customers based on race. The plaintiffs, Pat Harrington, Carlotta Franklin, and Ebony Price, allege that by requiring and disclosing users' full names and photographs, Airbnb allowed the host to discriminate against black users in violation of Oregon's public accommodations laws. Airbnb changed its policies in 2018, so hosts using its platform could choose not to require photos and said photos would only be shown to host after they accept a booking. It did not announce any further changes as a result of this case. Uh, Avis, I want to go to you. I know, look, they've had, uh, they had a civil rights audit that was done on Airbnb, uh, and we, we've seen these things before and when it comes to other technology, other apps, dating apps, things along those lines. Mm -hmm. This is the thing that people have to understand. Racism continues to fester, even in these areas where you think uh, it should not be. And so uh, Airbnb and other companies ha are having to deal with this because when you're talking about uh, consumers utilizing their personal space, whether it's a home or a condo, we talk about cars, things along those lines, that racist view is going to come into play. Absolutely. I mean, come on. Housing discrimination has been along as they're around as long as there's been housing in this country. And so this is just a 21st century version of that. And although, you know, this is a moment where we have these apps, everything is convenient. The reality is that if you have people on the other end who are hosts who themselves are racist, they're going to use this technology to be able to screen, not based on who's qualified to be in the space or who is willing to pay for it or who's there and available at the time. They're going to screen for who they want in their space. And if they're racist, they're not going to want people who aren't white in that space. And so I'm super proud of these women for standing up and saying this isn't right we're going to do something about it and forcing the company to make some changes so that these types of discriminatory actions won't be able to move forward in the future Kelly, we're also seeing this right now when we talk about AI, artificial intelligence. You got white folks who are writing these algorithms, uh, and, and these things are being built in. These racial views are being built in. And what we have to understand is that even with technology, there's no such thing as race neutral. The moment you put humans involved in this, you're going to have race uh, be a part of it. And I'm not really surprised at this at all. Like uh, Dr. Avis was saying, you know, people humans are behind technology. People, humans are behind AI and the development of it. So if you have a racist person developing the AI or a racist person developing the app, it might not even be uh, overt racism. It could just be implicit bias and just, you know, frankly, American uh, views on people of color. If you have somebody like that, then your your product will be inherently racist. And this isn't new. You know, while we don't really think about it, some of the first cameras that we've had uh, in film and television and the like were more or less racist because the film itself would not depict black people in such a way that you could sh see our real color. Um, 
that was a thing. It still is a thing depending on what kind of camera and equipment you use. So it is, racism is invasive. It is, it is prevalent in everything. And I applaud the women in Oregon for actually, you know, standing up for themselves and suing because a lot of people, I can imagine just how many people were in their same shoes and just didn't out of fear or, you know, frankly, just, uh, just not feeling like the law would be on their side. Uh, I want to talk about this other political story that uh, jumped out. The head of the DCCC, Democratic Congressional Campaign uh, Committee, uh, they have revamped, revamped their hiring procedures after they got criticized by black and Latino lawmakers. Uh, Avis, you would think that if you're running a Democratic institution, you might want to learn to hire black and Latinos. You would think that. You would think a lot of things, but <laughs> clearly they haven't gotten the memo. <laughs> I don't think that at all, because once upon a time, Democrats weren't so liberal. Well, so. you know, well, and still today, let's just be real. Racism is not limited to any political party. Um, bias in hiring is not limited to any political party. And certainly we know from the Democratic behaviors for years uh, up until this day in terms of how they spend their money. It is not done in an equitable and fair way, I would argue. And that would include hiring. And so I'm happy to see uh, that there have been some changes there so that maybe they'll now have a more diverse staff because the bottom line is the Democratic Party uh, would not have a chance uh, to be successful politically without the political power specifically of the black community. So the fact that they have been continuously um, falling, falling behind in terms of diversifying their workforce and diversifying their contractual obligations is a continuous disappointment and it continuously needs to be called out until it's changed. Uh, Kelly, look, they got criticized in a huge way by black and Latino lawmakers, making it perfectly clear that you can't ignore this powerful constituency. But this is the point that I've also been saying is that what those black lawmakers have to make clear is that uh, we're going to force change, and not just when it comes to hiring, but also when it comes to spending as well. Uh, and that is those dollars must be allocated to these communities and not, frankly, uh, with chump change, but in a serious way. And the DCCC, the members pay into that. And that's one of the reasons why they have forced these changes. Absolutely. And my thing is, you cannot, like Dr. Avis was saying, you can't really have a Democratic Party of the 21st century right now without black and Latino people. So the fact that your workforce doesn't reflect something that you actually need, that's a problem. Um, and further, you can't just you know, want our votes during every four years or every election cycle. This needs to be something that is consistent. This shouldn't just be like a, oh, I forgot, and it's about to be 2020, so let's put some black people in here for, you know, a year and a half so that people don't, you know, rock the boat. No, this needs to be a real change. It needs to be a real policy. And that's the only way the Democratic party, uh, DCCC included, could actually be progressive as well, because otherwise you're just, you know, a Republican party with black people in it, and that's not something that we need right now. <laughs> Republican light. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no pun intended. Let's, 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 talk about a, let's talk about 
let's talk about a story that caught my attention today. Uh, that is, if African Americans had the same wealth as white Americans, that would add nearly $2 trillion to the United States economy. Joining us right now from Dillard University is Dr. Christian Brody. She's the Dean of the College of Business at Dillard. Uh, Dr. Brody, glad to have you on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Glad to be here with you. Thank you, Roland. Uh, this this issue of wealth is is hugely important. We saw during the home foreclosure crisis, 2007 and since, 53% of black wealth wiped out as a result. African Americans also don't have the same wealth. As in terms of uh, inheritance, uh, and so is it? Of course, people. Outside, so outside of outside of the issue, outside of the issue of reparations, um, how do we close the gap? So there, there are a couple of different ways to do it, and it's not about anything that Black people need to do when they talk about how we spend money or that we need to go to school or any of those things. It's not about that. It's been about structural racism. I mean, it's interesting, Dr. Sandy Darity, William Darity at Duke wrote about this in 1975. And he said that there are these different theories where they say we need more human capital, we need more um, networking, more education. It's not about any of that if racism causes us not to be able to have the same amount of capital as white people do. Um, capital, physical capital in terms of owning homes and appreciable assets is the problem. So long as we're kept from those things, so long as we're kept from getting the same level of education, um, the same sort of houses, being able to live in safe neighborhoods, you're going to continue to have a wealth gap. And it's not anything that individual African-Americans need to do about it. It's really about um, getting that capital and stopping the discrimination that keeps us from it. So again, so without Okay, first of all, reparations is not going to get passed tomorrow. What do nah. you say to black folks today? What do we do? I think we're doing it. Um, Dr. Bill Spriggs at Howard writes about um, in his articles that African-Americans are more likely to send their kids to college, that we spend a greater proportion of our income on higher education, um, that we do buy houses. In my article, I wrote an article about foreclosure that we may be more likely to have a foreclosure start, but less likely to actually have a foreclosure because when black people do get houses, we value them. Um, we, we take care of business. I don't think that there's anything else that we could be doing. And I think a lot of economists, um, a lot of political people have said, you know, what black people need to do, we are doing it. I can't blame us for it. It's about discrimination, allowing us to be able to have those same assets that's really the only thing that's going to solve it. So long as discrimination again is, exists, we're not going to be able to solve that problem. That there are, indiv there are individuals uh, who I'm sorry, uh, Roland, I, I couldn't hear that. Could you say that one more time? It's also how we use our political power uh, to ensure that we are electing people who maximize, uh, who, who put forth policies that speak to our issues. 
Yeah, that, that of course, is a topic that's close to my heart. It's what I wrote about for the state of Black America this year. Um, so people talk about that Black people need to get out and vote. We do, right? But you have to think about all of the different laws that have been passed in terms of voting, that when you get to the polls and they say that you don't have the right ID or they're closing polling locations in African-American neighborhoods, we do get out and vote. Again, it comes down to discrimination, gerrymandering, and the like. Um, I'm, I'm still not going to blame us. We would vote more if they would keep the polling places open, if they would allow early voting, if they would allow uh, um, people to take seniors on buses. There are a lot of things that could happen that keep us from voting. I'm not blaming us for that. I, I have to say discrimination. If you eliminate structural racism and discrimination, then we would get an education. We would vote for the right people. Um, the Democrats know that, right? Like, we vote Democratic. Our voter turnout but, but, is very but here, high but here's what I mean. but, when but, we're allowed but, to vote. But, but here's what I mean. But, but, but Doc, uh -huh. here's what I mean. First of all, I understand gerrymandering, understand voter suppression. What I'm saying is when we do vote, it's also important for us to push candidates to be very specific about issues that directly impact us economically. And after we vote, ensure that we also are staying engaged in the process to make those things happen. That's what I'm talking about. I agree with that. Um, and, and I think that when you look at the person who is in office now, um, I'm not going to name a particular candidate that I'm supporting, but I think that all of them are better than who we have. I think that the Democrats need to come together quickly behind a candidate um, so that we can have someone who will look out for our best interests. But I think the, the infighting and talking about the various candidates negatively is not helping our cause. All right, Doctor, we certainly appreciate it. Thank you so very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. All right, then, uh, Avis and Kelly, real quick. Um, I, I, there are things that we are doing, but I think what has to happen is, I think uh, even more so, we must ratchet up uh, this idea that uh, we have to take things into our own hands when it comes to wealth creation. Because as I said, the folks who support reparations, it ain't happening tomorrow. It's not happening next week. And if we're waiting for that to happen, we're going to be waiting for a very long time. And so I think there are things that we can do in terms of be even more aggressive in fighting discrimination. When you talk about education, but also when it comes to uh, spending, when it comes to housing, decisions that we make, because we have to also be thinking about collective when it comes to our resources as well, in terms of being able uh, to move forward. Well, you know, the, here's the thing that I find very interesting about that study and about other studies that have been done of Trump uh, supporters. Uh, here's one consistent thing that we can point to. Even though we like to think that America is all about capitalism, it's all about money, it's all about who's going to create the most wealth for this country, the reality is this country understands that if it were more fair, we would have more wealth produced in this country. They have this, this whole paradigm in terms of our culture and our structural systems have preferenced white privileged over the maximization of capitalism's possibilities. And you can look at that also as it relates to Trump supporters, who everybody wants to claim and wanted to claim they were voting because of economic anxiety. It didn't have nothing to do with economic anxiety. All the data that I have seen on it 
shows that the primary driver for the votes that he received were largely issues having to do with race and ultimately the protections of white privilege, even if that meant economic damage to those individuals who were voting for him. And so what I find most interesting about this issue around what the country is missing out on and losing economically because of its unfair structural racism that has led to and continues to maintain an egregious wealth gap in this country is the degree to which whiteness is privileged in this nation even over the maximization of economic prosperity. Kelly. No, I definitely agree, but what also baffles me about this is people act like they care and they don't. Mm. You know, like Dr. Avis was saying, if we really were fair, that would mean the taking of power away from those who consider themselves white supremacists and feel like that that is their uh, that is their pedestal. You know, nobody wants to be knocked off of their pedestal. Mm. But the problem is something needs to give in order for this nation to actually be great for the first time, not even again. <laughs> so what we're dealing with here is people who say that they want one thing aren't willing to give up anything in order to make that happen. And we have a whole, you know, entity of people who are going to be, you know, lost and losing in the process at the expense of literally the entire nation. So something literally has to give. Something has to change. And if you are not willing to change it, we're going to continue this over and over again. Even with presidential candidates talking about reparations, that really is the solution, is to make everything a little bit fairer. But nobody wants to say that either, because even those who are talking about reparations, they would lose their standing in society, whether you're black, white, what have you. You know, they are still upper echelon, these politicians. And if you do that, they'll lose their standing. And nobody wants to lose their standing at the expense of themselves, even if it means for the betterment of the whole. So that's the problem. People want something and not and they're not right. willing to change what's going on. All right, folks, going to a break right now. We come back. Uh, we'll be, we'll be uh, talking uh, more issues right here on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Back in a moment. All right, folks, Life Lux Jazz is the experience of a lifetime delivering top-notch music in an upscale destination. The weekend-long event is held at the Omnia Day Club Los Cabos, which is nestled on the Sea of Cortez in the celebrity playground of Los Cabos, Mexico. The Life Lux Jazz Experience offers the ultimate getaway for discerning jazz aficionados by pairing an upscale international destination with luxury, with luxury accommodations, fine hot cuisine, top shelf libations, breathtaking golf, exhilarating spa, health and wellness options, and much more, while showcasing some of the biggest names in entertainment. The second annual Life Lux Jazz Experience continues to build upon its success and heritage with jazzing around Los Cabos, a celebratory expansion of accomplishing its goal of sharing all the finest the destination has to offer, including daytime excursions and many concerts, including the Spirit of Jazz Gospel Brunch and Jazz Sunset Cruise. Confirmed guests, comedian actor Mark Curry, Gerald Albright, Alex Bouman, Raul Madon, Incognito, Pieces of a Dream, Kirk Whalem, Average White Band, Donnie McClurkin, Shalea, Roy Ayers, Tom Brown, Ronnie Laws, 
and Ernest Quarles. Man, that's a hell of a lineup. For more information, visit the website at lifeluxjazz.com. It's lifeluxjazz.com. Also, we'll be broadcasting Roland Martin Unfiltered uh, from Los Cabos uh, the, the Thursday and Friday. And so you definitely want to be in the house, folks. It is an amazing experience. I can't wait for it all to happen. So go to lifeluxjazz.com to sign up today. All right, folks, welcome back to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh, the fallout continues over the uh, announcement between Jay-Z and the NFL that was announced on, on uh, Wednesday. One thing that's really interesting is that Charlemagne the God posted uh, a video on his Instagram page uh, where he says that his comments were actually edited of the NFL Network. So let me explain to folks what actually happened. What actually happened is that when they had that news conference, select media was invited to the news conference. They then said, no video, no photos, but the folks there were able to actually record audio. Uh, we, we were told that. Mark Thompson, of course, went on our behalf. We had him on the show discussing it. And I, I was concerned. I raised the issue about uh, not having, like, who was recording the video. Well, now all of a sudden we've seen these excerpts that have been dropped by the NFL Network. Uh, and to see Charlemagne say that uh, his comments were edited out, uh, I have sent uh, notice to the NFL. I was to folks there saying that full video needs to be released. Avis, I don't understand. I mean, first of all, it's real interesting that, look, like I get a recording audio. The reality is, if you post an audio clip, it's different than you post a video clip. Right. Uh, and so I had an issue with the NFL con controlling the video to that news conference and then sending it out uh, you know, whenever they wanted to as opposed to it being an open and free news conference. Uh, and so when I saw Charlemagne's post, uh, that was nuts to me that, that for, him to say, for him to say that the NFL literally edited his question. And so what you saw on his page was not actually uh, lining up with what took place in the room. Who can be surprised by this? Now, really, this is the NFL that we're talking about. This is the institution who colluded, who colluded uh, in order to, to punish a player, Colin Kaepernick, for his ability and for his bravery in terms of exercising his free speech abilities in this nation. And so why should we, 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 why should we be surprised with anything that they do? Clearly, this was some sort of move that they're trying to do to be able to, in some way, move on past this lingering public relations problem that they have since they continue to refuse to hire this man. Uh, and, and also, since they had to settle that lawsuit, which suggests that they admitted some culpability in terms of their collusion. And so they wanted to be able to move on and change the narrative. And what better way to do that than to bring in a black face to say, hey, uh, we, we need to move on. Uh, and now I'm not surprised at all uh, that they have let out an edited video which puts the best spin on it, at least they thought put the best spin on it from their perspective. Uh, this isn't going away anytime soon. I think they um, underestimated the backlash that they would get from it. And I also think, quite frankly, that Jay-Z underestimated the backlash that he got from it. Uh, and even if they were to release the whole news conference, which they probably should have in the first place, I really don't think this is going to be an easy pill for a lot of people to swallow because because a lot of right. us still think that they're wrong. Kelly, from a communication standpoint, uh, you would think that the NFL uh, would be fair and release the whole deal, but uh, clearly games are being played here. 
I mean, from an NFL standpoint, I actually see what they're doing. They're trying to put themselves in the best light as possible. But them putting out uh, edited clips of audio and not even video also suggests that something happened at that conference that they don't want us to see or uh, uh, assume happened, you know, gleaned from. Mm -hmm. So when you when you do something like that, you know, it, it doesn't look good. Um, the fact that Charlemagne's uh, clips were edited and he's the one who uh, found out or those are the ones that were released, that's also very interesting because Charlemagne's base is predominantly black and they're predominantly the people who would be watching football right. games should this actually blow over. So the fact that it was actually Charlemagne stuff, that's actually what's making it sound like really fishy to me that they specifically picked him um, out of whoever and however many people were actually at that conference. They picked right. his quote and his tweets or whatever to actually doctor in an attempt to, you know, make this blow over, and it blew up in their face. Avis, uh, about 40 minutes ago, uh, TMZ Sports posted this story uh, saying exclusive Jay-Z to become part owner of NFL team. Now, in this story, it says sources connected to Jay and with direct knowledge tell us Jay is going to have a significant ownership interest in the NFL team. As for which team, we're not being told, but we are told it is going to happen in the near future. Uh, now, again, this is TMZ Sports. This has not been, of course, confirmed by anyone else. But this is certainly uh, ad adding another log to the fire of people who have been critical of him forming this alliance with the NFL uh, around uh, entertainment as well as social justice. And folks are saying, oh, now we see why this deal was cut. Just your initial thoughts. Well, then the first thing that he should do as owner is to pick up Colin Kaepernick. How about that, Jay-Z? Exactly. That's my thoughts. Well, we'll see what actually happens <laughs> We'll see, well, we'll, see what, we'll see what actually happens there. All right, folks, I'm here in Cincinnati, the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, uh, where Ford Cares is having their Men of Courage uh, initiative uh, and Men of Change. And so the program is actually going on right now. And so here to talk about that is Pam Alexander with Ford Cares. So, Pam, how are you doing? Great. Oh, I'm doing right great. Can I come right over uh, here? Now we got you right here. So first of all, tell folks exactly what this initiative is. So Men of Change is an initiative that we grew out of our Men of Courage grassroots program about the positive narrative around African-American men. It's about African-American men studying their own narrative and talking about the positive, amazing things that African-American men have contributed to our country. I mean, come on, let's be real about it. Men of Change is an exhibit that we have funded through the Smithsonian that does exactly the same thing. It's going to travel to 10 venues over three years. It's opening tonight in Cincinnati. But again, it tells the story of Dr. King and President Obama, but it also has in there um, Kendrick Lamar, uh, LeBron James. It has something for everyone because we want everybody to be able to go in and see the achievements and the success, but also see themselves in the exhibit. It's it's like nothing you've ever seen before. So the exhibit actually so it debuts here at the National Underground Railroad Freedom Center, and it's going to be here in Cincinnati for how long? It'll be here until the beginning of December, and then it travels to Tacoma, and it will be on a three-year tour. Now, the really exciting thing, and I know you've been part of a, a lot of what we do, Roland, so thank you for being here. Um, we have a community outreach initiative that goes with the exhibit called Men of Courage. It's a grassroots initiative. It started in 2015, but here we're adding a little bit something special. We've got a barbershop challenge. So we've got two barbershops we selected in the community that have been transformed and made over into Men of Courage barbershops. And for the next three months, they're going to compete with each other 
offering programming around um, leadership. They're going to have cuts and coding, free haircuts. You can bring in your, your young son, get a haircut, and he learns how to code. Um, all kinds of special activities, and they're going to be competing. And at the end of the three months, the one that does the most in the community around this positive narrative gets $10,000. So after this program here, there's a barbershop crawl. So explain, because first of all, y'all, when I saw the program, I was like, okay, I'm used to pub crawls, bar crawls, but a barbershop crawl? Yeah, so we're going to go to the Men of Courage barbershops. We're going to talk to the barbers who are amazing. Um, and we're going to find out what they're going to do in the community. We're going to meet some of their clientele. I know I'm not supposed to go in there, right? It's a barbershop, but it's sacred ground, right? I can go in tonight. You can get, you can get a trim. I can, I can go in. We can we can take care of that, right? So so we're going to go to the barbershops, and we're going to crawl between the two of them. Well, not crawl, crawl. You know, we're going to drive right. in a Ford. Yeah, yeah, precisely. I figured that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to drive in a Ford. But we're going to have a little, you know, get together and celebrate these barbers. They're already planning stuff. They're already competing. So if you uh, razor one and... Um, and Precision, Precision Blends with a Z here in Cincinnati are competing to win that $10,000 for the next three months. Now, uh, flying here, I was in Pittsburgh earlier today, and so on the plane was Jerome Bettis, uh, Hall of Fame running back uh, for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, but did anybody think that to have Jerome Bettis come to Cincinnati? Cincinnati and Pittsburgh don't like each other. Everybody loves the bus. Everybody, not in Cincinnati. I'm just saying it's. I mean, if you talk about the Steelers in Cincinnati and Cleveland, that's like that's. So I was kind of like, because we were on the plane. He said, "Hey, man." He said, "We're both going to Cincinnati for the minute courage." I was like, "I know how I'm gonna be received. I don't know how you're gonna be received in Cincinnati." Well, you know, I gotta say this. He has been great. Jerome has been with us with Men of Courage since 2015, Ooh. speaking to youth during their programming. We're having them here, so the Bengals fans are just gonna have to deal with him. <laughs> He is outstanding. I think they're fine. I think. Yeah, if Pam get run out of Cincinnati, I'm, I'm gonna be there reporting what happened. No, they'll be fine. They'll be fine. They've been very welcoming to him. So you know, I can't find him right now. So hopefully he's okay. But but no, it's great. Yeah, he ain't hiding. <laughs> Bus can't hide. All right, so for, that's true, Dad. So where can people get more information on uh, this program and the exhibit? Okay, so Men of Changes in Cincinnati until December. More importantly, or equally importantly, Men of Courage, that whole visioning, positive narrative, you can go to FGB, as in Ford Gives Back, dot life. There are teacher guides. There is um, uh, a toolkit. So you can have your own Men of Courage event or work if you have a youth group you want to use it free on fgb.life just go to the men of courage spot so everyone can be part of this movement because we all want to make sure that the real story the true story the positive story of african-american men is out there all right all right that sounds good i appreciate it all right thank you all right. glad to be here all right, folks, again, fgb.life for get more information on that. want to thank uh, Kelly and Avis uh, for being with us today on the show. That's it for us. Uh, of course, folks, we also want you to support what we do. Uh, your dollars allow us to be able to broadcast from places like this to be able to cover these stories. Uh, and we're glad to be here. And so, again, uh, go to RolandMartinUnfiltered.com. Join our Bring the Funk fan club. As we do every single Friday, we always end the week. We're showing you all of the people who have given uh, to our Bring the Funk fan club if you have given and you don't see your name so shoot us an email we'll get it all taken care of again go to rollermartinonfilter.com uh, and you can of course uh, on the uh, site you can give via square paypal as well uh, as uh, i'm leaving out one square paypal cash app you can do that as well and so please do so again we want your support uh, for support the great things that we're doing and so i got to go i'll see you guys on monday holla
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.